Well, hey, I wanna welcome you wherever you may be joining us from around the world. It is so good to have you as a part of our Traders Point Church family. Well, many of you know that uh, last week I sat down with a friend of ours, Pastor Kenny Hart from The Gathering in Harlem, and we had a, a conversation around the subjects of systemic racism, justice, and hope. And I sincerely hope that it was a helpful conversation to you. I've heard from so many of you that said that you learned a lot and you were encouraged as well as convicted. But the primary motivation for us to have that conversation was to model what a conversation like that might look like so that you might be inspired and equipped to do the same in your own personal life. And yet with that said, I am fully aware that this issue is much, much bigger than a single conversation. We can't just have a single conversation and leave it at that. And so the, the question that I've been asking and the question that maybe you've been asking is, okay, well, we had a conversation last week. Now what? Like, what are we supposed to think now? Like, what are we supposed to say now? What are we supposed to do now? And most importantly, what does God's word require of us as his people? You know, when God's word says to us in 1 Peter chapter four that judgment begins in the house of the Lord, it says that because as believers, as the body of Christ, what happens within the church spills out into society. And so as followers of Jesus, we need to lead the way. We need to lead the way in speech and in thought and in action, but most importantly, we need to lead the way in love. I'm reminded of what Hosea chapter four, verse one says. It says, my people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. And we have a whole lot of information right now. There's more information at our fingertips than ever in the history of the world, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're growing in knowledge. And so we are getting a lot of information from social media and from news stories, but when was the last time we really went to the knowledge of God's word and, and what does he have to say about it? And so what I wanna do over the course of the next few moments, as your imperfect pastor who doesn't have all the answers, what I do wanna do is just walk through the storyline of the knowledge of God's word because God has a whole lot to say about systemic racism and injustice and he doesn't stutter. He is undeniably clear. Now I do wanna offer this, just this very quick disclaimer just for a little bit of context. I am shooting this message on a Wednesday, which I, I normally don't do, nor do I like to do because there are so many things changing in our world during this season that I wanna record the message uh, on the weekend so that it's fresh. Um, but, but I had a death in our family this week, which requires us to be out of town over the weekend. And, and I felt really convicted that it was important that you hear this message from me. And so I am recording it earlier in the week. And so I just ask for your understanding and your grace. I just want to acknowledge that. So in our time today, I want to walk us through the collective storyline of the Bible to help us see the heart of God on the issue of racism and injustice. Now, for many of you, this is gonna be review. You already know it. Others of you, this is gonna be brand new information. And I pray that our eyes might be opened. I pray that, that we would be willing to learn and grow from this. Now, I realize 
that tensions are still high, that emotions are elevated and opinions run deep. And so I think that this verse right here out of James chapter one, verse 19 must set the tone. And it simply says this, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to get angry. And we just don't see enough of that verse lived out in our world today. And we need to let the wisdom of James 1.19 bake into all of our hearts and minds, regardless of your background, your perspective, your politics, or your opinion. And so there's a couple of ways that we can apply that verse into our situation. For, for example, I want you to know that by talking about this issue does not mean that we don't love and support the men and women that serve us in law enforcement. In fact, I have a great amount of, of empathy for the men and women serving us in law enforcement because as a pastor, I know what it's like to be judged by the worst of those in your profession. And I want you to know right now that if you're in law enforcement, we love you, we're praying for you, and we support you. Another way that we could apply the wisdom of James 1.19 to this situation is that last week when Pastor Kenny said that rioting is the language of the unheard, that doesn't mean that he or we condone looting or violent rioting. And a few of you didn't hear that because you weren't quick to listen and slow to speak. See, the fact that anyone doesn't feel as if they have a voice to be heard should first of all break our hearts. And the only way it does is if you're quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry or defensive. Now, I'll be the first to admit that I am not even close to having all of this figured out, nor do I have nice and tidy answers. Quite frankly, if I could be honest with you, I am exhausted and overwhelmed. Now, this is not the first time that I've addressed this subject from this platform. My very first message at Traders Point back in 2008, I spent a significant part of that message talking about God's diversity for his church and the desire for us to be a church that grows in that diversity. And I've preached on this subject before from this stage and every time I do, I just brace because I know that I'm gonna take arrows from people on both sides of the issue. It's impossible to please everybody when you talk about this and I'm not trying to. And I've read books and I've listened to lectures and I've had multiple conversations with my black and brown friends and I still feel absolutely overwhelmed and ill-equipped to talk about this. Primarily because the issue of systemic racism and injustice is complex and it's got a deep, deep dysfunctional history. Therefore, I'm often overwhelmed and I, and I don't know where to start and I don't know what to say and I don't know how to help. But I do know the silence is not the answer. And we live in a really broken and sinful world and we've got to acknowledge that. And we've also got to realize that as much as we strive for this, we are not going to resolve the issue of racism fully on this side of eternity. Yet that doesn't give us permission to give up or to be silent. As followers of Jesus, we are consistently commanded to be growing in love towards one another, to, to lay down our lives for a friend, to speak up on behalf of our brothers and sisters who are in pain. In Proverbs chapter 31, verse eight, it says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice 
for those who are being crushed. And we cannot do this if as white Christians, we are regularly interrupting with, yeah, but, or what about, or this one right here. Well, I'm not a racist. And when we do that, we come across as tone deaf and unloving. And speaking as a white Christian, can I say that there's far too many white Christians that have a PhD in statistics, but a third grade education in empathy. And so where this begins, it has to start with humility. And that's what James 1.19 is all about. You can't do James 1.19 without humility. And humility requires us acknowledging that we don't know what we don't know or have ever experienced. I will never fully understand what it means to be black or brown in America. I will also never fully appreciate the privileges that have been handed to me just because the color of my skin is, is, is white. And I realize that those sentences might offend some of you because you, you don't think that you are explicitly or personally a racist. And you hear terms like white privilege and you bristle at that because you say, no, 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 wait a second. I've worked really hard for what I have. And my life hasn't always been easy. And can I lovingly say, that's a big part of the problem. See, I heard somebody say one time that white privilege does not mean that your life has been easy or that you haven't worked hard for what you have. It just means that the color of your skin has not been a factor that has made your life hard. And humility calls us to acknowledge that we live in a system that benefits you just because your skin is lighter than someone else's. Humility calls us to see the world through someone else's perspective without any objections, defenses, or qualifications and just sitting in that with them for a minute with your mouth shut and feeling it with them. Humility requires that I come to realize that my life has not been made more difficult because of the color of my skin. Now, I've done a lot of personal reflecting over the last couple of weeks and to my knowledge, I, I don't think that I have any intentional racism in my heart that I'm aware of. Like I, I've never once looked at somebody else with a different skin color and thought I'm better than you because of my skin color. I, I don't think that that's in there yet. I wouldn't be fully honest with you if I didn't say that there's probably some sort of conscious or, or unconscious prejudice that is lurking around in my heart somewhere due to the, to the lens by which I see the world because of my upbringing and my experiences. And I don't believe that the answer is to say that we need to be colorblind. I don't think that that's possible. I also think that's unbiblical because God created diversity within humanity and that's to be celebrated and acknowledged. Now, I think the answer is that we pray. And the prayer in my heart is just, God, would you please search me and God, would you please find anything in me that is not pleasing to you or that might indirectly hurt someone else? And would you root that stuff out of my heart? And would you give me the humility to face it and to do the hard work to remove it? And there is no room whatsoever 
for racism or injustice within the kingdom of God. Therefore, we should not allow it or tolerate it here on earth. And Jesus was not passive about this issue. Therefore, we will not be either. And so what I wanna do is I just wanna walk us through the storyline of God's word. And I wanna show you that this is really, really close to the heart of God. And so I wanna begin with this statement right here. Every single human being is an image bearer of God. Regardless of their background, regardless of their gender, regardless of their skin color or ethnicity or language. We see this in Genesis chapter one, that in the very beginning, God's crowning achievement was human beings. And he created them different, but equal. And he said, you are a man and you are a woman. And he looked at that and he said, this is really, really good. And humanity is God's most cherished creation. And each one of us reflect his image to and within the world. And this is why the murders of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and countless others are sin. They were not looked upon or treated as the image bearers of God that they were. The second truth is that we need to realize in scripture that God's purpose in salvation is to restore, to reunite, and to bless all people. So Genesis chapters uh, two and three, we see that there is uh, man's rebellion against God and sin enters into the world. And all this comes to a boiling point in Genesis chapter 11. And uh, human beings got together and they sinfully and collectively rebelled against God at the Tower of Babel. And the result of that was that their languages were confused. The result of their sin was that people were scattered and cultures were scattered and ethnicities were scattered at Babel. Sin separated us. And then God begins the work of reunification of the nations in the very next chapter. He wastes no time. Genesis chapter 12, we see that God comes to Abram and, and he says, you're gonna be the father to, to this nation and I'm gonna begin this reunifying work. And God says to him, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. And the Israelites would be God's chosen people and the conduit of that blessing to every other nation around the world, all tribes, all tongues, all ethnicities. God's intentions were to bless all of humanity. You fast forward to the time of Jesus in the New Testament, and we often forget that Jesus, the son of God, was both fully God and fully man. And he was a person of color from the Middle East who lived in a world of oppressive, explosive racial tension. And in ancient Israel, the, the culture was, was Jew versus Gentile. And the Jewish people had created these laws. For, for example, it was illegal for a Jew to have a meal with a Gentile. And, and then the Jewish people, they lived under this oppressive, oppressive Roman system. There was just racism everywhere. And that's the world in which Jesus begins his earthly ministry. And he confronts it head on. Jesus was always stepping between the oppressed and the oppressor. And one of my favorite examples of this is when he decides one day to go through Samaria, not around it. And the Samaritans were a hated ethnic group and the disciples couldn't believe what Jesus was doing. But he goes through Samaria, sits down at a well and has a conversation with a Samaritan woman. And through that conversation completely changes her life. 
And she goes back to town and tells everybody about it. And it's ironic that the very first missionary that would get sent out was not Paul and it was not Peter. It was a Samaritan woman. And in John 17, before Jesus goes to a cross, he prays for all of us. And in his prayer is the unity of all people. It's the diversity of God's people. And Jesus prays for us and he prays for every race and culture that they may become perfectly one, he says, so that the world may know that you sent me. It is directly tied to mission. He said, There's a unified church is gonna be a church that's on mission. And then we come to the book of Acts, which is the birth of the early church. And in Acts chapter two, the day of Pentecost, all the believers were together in one place and suddenly a sound from heaven, like a mighty windstorm and the spirit of God fell over them. And we saw that there were different ethnic groups as the spirit fell. And here's what it says, beginning in verse seven, they were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking in their own native languages. And here we are. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Pergia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. You see, Pentecost was a reversal of Babel that the spirit was uniting what sin had divided. You go a few chapters later to Acts chapter 10 and Peter receives this vision from God. You gotta read it. It's an amazing story where the sky opens up and this sheet falls from heaven and it's filled with animals and reptiles and birds. And he is so perplexed by this dream and he gets up and he, he's not quite sure what it means. But then he has a meal with a man of a different ethnic background than him, a guy named Cornelius. And that's when Peter gets it. And he declares in Acts 10, 34, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and, and, and to do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Jesus is for everyone. The spirit of God is uniting what sin had divided you go Acts chapter 13 when God is establishing the church in, in Antioch and we are given the name of five specific leaders in that church. You've got Saul and Barnabas who were ethnic Jews living in a Greek culture. You've got Menaean of the aristocracy. You've got Simeon who's also called Niger which means black or dark. You've got Lucius of Cyrene which is modern day Libya. Now of those five leaders, get this, one of them is from the Middle East, one is from Asia, one is from the Mediterranean and one is from Africa. All over the place. But here's what's interesting about that. Most of those names we never read about in the Bible ever again. And so why tell us this specifically, their names and where they were from? It's because God's making a point. The very beginning of his church, the leaders were diverse. The spirit was uniting what sin had divided. You go Acts chapter 16 when God is establishing the church at Philippi. And in those days, there was this tragic prayer that many Jewish men were taught how to pray. And the prayer went like this. Thank you, God, that I'm not a woman, I'm not a slave, and I'm not a Gentile. And that tragic prayer reflected the racial supremacy that had been concreted into the soul. 
And in Acts chapter 16, when the Spirit begins to save people and build the church at Philippi, we get three specific conversion accounts. Lydia, a slave girl, and a Roman jailer. I want you to see that the first three converts was a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. The Spirit of God was uniting what sin had divided. You just can't deny it. It's more than coincidence. The overarching narrative of God's word is extremely clear. God has set out to destroy the dividing wall of hostility and create one new man from every nation of men under our brown-skinned Middle Eastern Savior named Jesus. And then you come to the final act of the Bible in Revelation 7, where John shares a vision with us of what heaven, the new heaven and the new earth is gonna look like. And, and John says this in chapter seven, verse nine. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the lamb and they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands and they were shouting with a great roar. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the lamb. And these brief glimpses into heaven is one where we still see diversity in ethnicity, yet we are united as one in and through Jesus and we all call him Father. The kingdom of God includes diversity and Jesus is king of all people and for all people and God's aim is not homogeny, it is unity in diversity. Revelation 21 says that there is the glory of the nations. So what now? And the truth is that I will never fully understand what it is like to be a person of color living in America but I do know that there is no room for racism within the kingdom of God. Not because the news or the social media tells me that, but because God's word tells me that. And when Jesus went out of his way to rescue and bless everyone, he commands us to do the same. And I don't have all the answers, but I do know that the solution to systemic racism and injustice in America will only be found in and through Jesus. The, the solution will not be found through further violence. It won't be found through more peaceful protests, another social media post, or changed legislation, even though there is a place and a purpose for those latter three. No, the only solution is when the hearts of men and women are changed. And Jesus is the only one who can change hearts. It's why he went to a cross. It's why he laid his life down. And right now, more than ever, our divided nation needs Jesus. And we, Traders Point, declare the name of Jesus, which means our divided nation needs a united church behind the name of Jesus. People of all colors and creeds and ethnicities standing together, standing up for the oppressed, speaking against violence of all kinds, speaking truth and hope and grace and peace and reconciliation into the world and living those words out through direct action. And we need to treat each other as the image bearers of God that we are. So what do we do? 
And where do we start? Like I said, I don't know all the answers, but I think it has to start here with James 1.19 and listening and learning and, and empathizing and really hearing each other, not talking over each other and let Jesus change our minds so that our hearts are softened and our actions will follow. And for any white person right now listening to this and you find yourself a little uncomfortable and a little agitated and a little defensive, before you fire off the email, can I just ask you very lovingly to really take a hard look at that in your heart and ask why you're responding that way? And maybe more importantly, is your emotional response in line with the heart and the character of Jesus who willingly laid down his life for others? Please, let's not let this erode into a political issue where you feel like you've got to pick a side. See, when you become a Christian, the most true thing about you is that you are no longer from Ohio or Germany or Asia. You are not primarily Anglo, African-American, Asian, or Hispanic. No, you are a citizen of God's kingdom. And our allegiance is not to a red donkey, a blue elephant, but to a slain lamb. And I'm not fully sure of all the steps towards resolution and reconciliation, but I'm committed to the hard work of it. And I know that this has to be the first step. It's repentance. We've been talking a lot about it lately. And repentance isn't just lip service. It's not, I'm really, really sorry. No, repentance is pretty gut-wrenching. Repentance is painful and it's uncomfortable and it's where you ask for forgiveness, not just from God, but to the people that you've hurt so that your mind can change and your heart can soften and your actions can follow. And we cannot empathize or live out James 1.19. We cannot speak up for or join together with until we repent. And so I'll go first. I repent. I repent for saying silent when I should have said something. I repent for the undetected or unacknowledged prejudice that's in my heart. I repent for being too passive and building bridges with others who don't look like me. I'm truly sorry for the injustice that many of you endure on a daily basis that I never will. I'm sorry for America's shameful past and divisive present. And that doesn't mean I don't love the country in which we live. It just means that this country needs Jesus more than ever and God is still working on us and things must change. And I'd love to walk with you through this really emotional, complex problem together, not separate, but together. I would really hope that you feel welcome and comfortable at Trader's Point. I would love it if we could all join together and declaring the glory of God's kingdom to a hurting world that the world looks around and sees all this division, but they look at the church. They, they look at our church and they say, how can you guys be so diverse and yet unified and loving? And we can say, it's because of Jesus. And I really, really look forward one day 
to a new heaven and a new earth, a place where there is no more pain and there are no more tears and there is no more virus and there, are no, there is no more racism and there is no more hurt and, and there's just joy. And we can join together in our diversity and sing to King Jesus, our heavenly father together. And until that day, I wanna see healing in our nation. I want God's kingdom to come to earth and for us to begin to experience it in the here and now because his spirit is within us and with us. And that will not happen without humility. And our nation needs healing. And our nation needs Jesus. And since we remove unnecessary barriers, traders point, that keep people from Jesus, that means our nation and our city need us. And we need Jesus as we point our city to him. And I know right now that it would be really easy to look at our nation's history and our current state of the world and to feel really tired and to feel frustrated and to feel hopeless and defeated. And maybe you just sort of feel like giving up in your spirit. And I get that. But I wanna encourage you, you know, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it says that there's a season for many things. There's 28 seasons listed in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's a season to live and a season to die. There's a season to laugh and a season to cry. There's 28 seasons listed, but you know one season you will not find in Ecclesiastes? It never says that there's a time to quit. Don't ever quit because everything that you're believing for is on the other side of not giving up. And Psalm 27 says, surely you shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And it is to that end that we pray. And I wanna encourage you in your homes and later in your groups that you would pray that prayer. And I wanna encourage you to reach out to someone who looks different than you, who's had a different experience than you and have a hard but good conversation, both of you keeping your eyes on Jesus. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry to the glory of King Jesus. Father, we come to you right now and we just cry out to you and we repent. And God, I pray that you would convict the comfortable and that you would comfort the conflicted. God, I pray that your spirit right now would just begin this healing process in our nation, but may it first begin with, with each one of us individually to check our own hearts and our own spirit, to, to evaluate what we are allowing to input into our minds and hearts. And may we go not just to get information from social media, but we would go to the knowledge of your word and you are very, very clear. And so Father, I pray that your spirit would fall freshly upon our church family and that we would be a representation of what heaven might look like one day here on earth. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.